0: Top stories coming up this evening live from New York City. A former Trump Organization CFO pleads guilty to tax evasion charges. What do you say about the decision? The U.S. is set to begin trade talks with Taiwan in the fall. The two sides are strengthening their relationship against the demands of China. And the crisis worsens for China's property sector. Real estate developers' cash flow drops 24% year-over-year. What does that mean for the world's second largest economy? And much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Don Ma here for NTD Business. A former top executive at the Trump Organization has pleaded guilty to tax fraud after pleading not guilty last year. The executive is 75-year-old Alan Weiselberg. He used to be Trump's chief financial officer. He worked under him for almost 50 years. He was indicted last year for hiding $1.7 million of compensation from the IRS. He pleaded guilty on all 15 counts, which include grand larceny and falsifying business records. In a statement from his lawyer, Weisselberg said it was one of the most difficult decisions of his life. He made the choice to put an end to this case and the years-long legal and personal nightmares it has caused for him and his family. His lawyers have said Weisselberg was punished by the DA's office simply because he wouldn't offer information that would hurt Trump. And a quick update on the FBI's raid on, the president, on President Trump's Mar-a-Lago home. A judge today has ordered the government to give him a redacted version of a key document, which outlined the reasons why the search warrant for the raid was approved. Several media outlets are calling for the release of the documents while government lawyers oppose the release. Judge Bruce Ryan Hart listened to arguments from both sides and said he will review the proposed redactions and decide if they are appropriate. He said there may be information in there that's too sensitive for the public to see. The raid seems to be about whether Trump took home classified documents, even though Trump has already said he declassified the records. The U.S. says it will begin trade talks with Taiwan in the fall. It's to strengthen economic ties as China gets more aggressive against the island. NTD's Colin Fredrickson has this one.
1: America says that it'll start negotiating with Taiwan on a trade initiative this fall. It'll touch on things like agriculture, technology, and the significant distortions that can occur from the non-market practices of state-owned and state-controlled enterprises.
2: It could be a response to the Pelosi visit
0: and the overreaction of uh, Beijing. In terms of the
2: almost total blockade of the country, Taiwan, you know, with the Navy ships, I mean, really it's the PLA Navy uh, did a what looked like a dress rehearsal of a naval blockade.
1: Anders Core is the publisher of the Journal of Political Risk and author of The Concentration of Power. Core hopes these talks aren't only symbolic, but that they'll also move the United States and Taiwan closer together. China is currently Taiwan's largest trading partner, accounting for 28% of its exports. The U.S. is in second place. It is very symbolic. Riley Walters is a deputy director at the Hudson Institute. Walters says the trade investment framework negotiations with Taiwan already cover most of the recently announced topics.
3: A lot of the stuff I think announced within this uh, trade negotiations is, is stuff we're already doing, really, with Taiwan. Um, you know, Again, U.S. and Taiwan have been talking about trade for over 30 years now.
1: He thinks offsetting the impact from state-owned enterprises, such as those from China, is something new, they added.
4: Even if it were just symbolic, it's important. Because Beijing needs to see that the United States stands with Taiwan.
1: Gordon Chang is the author of The Coming Collapse of China. Chang says Washington perceives Taiwan as being endangered.
4: Since the 1800s, we Americans have drawn our Western defense perimeter, not off the coast of Hawaii, not off the coast of Guam, but off the coast of East Asia. And Taiwan sits in the middle of that critical perimeter.
1: China is against the U.S. and Taiwan strengthening their ties. It urges the U.S. to immediately stop any form of official interaction and contact with the island. Alan Fredrickson, NTD News.
0: And China's real estate crisis deepens. Property developers there are facing a cash crunch. Their cash flow is down 24% through July compared to a year ago. This is according to oxford economics the drop in cash flow comes as china's property sector is trapped in a serious credit crisis after regulators tightened lending standards home sales have plunged and banks have given out fewer loans many developers are now in survival mode some of them have defaulted on their debts including evergrand one of china's biggest builders SP global rating says around 20 percent of the chinese developers it rates could become insolvent I talked to Brian McCarthy in detail more about this topic earlier. He's the chief strategist at MacroLens. Here he is. Brian, thanks for coming on. So it looks like it's just one bad news after another for China's real estate sector. I'm sure you saw this. Apparently, property developers' cash flow is down 24 percent.
5: I mean, the bad news just keeps rolling in. Um, you know, floor space sold, I'm going to call it down by over a third over the last three months, year on year. Um, you know, there was a report from Evergrande recently where their sales were down I think 97%, like basically have gone to zero. Um, and I'm sure, you know, many of you viewers have heard about the mortgage boycotts that were sort of a, a feature of the landscape. A, a month ago, they seem to have quelled that. But there are reports of, broader discontent in the public uh, with property developers and the banks that facilitated their behavior um, in terms of you know, taking these pre-sale deposits and squandering them. And what is now becoming apparent was a Ponzi scheme, effectively.
0: Now we know about the factors in, like the pandemic, lockdowns, debt issues. What do you think what do you think some of the contributing factors are to sort of the decrease in cash flow and other things?
5: I think the main factor is that this is a a, a market that has been pumped up by uh, excessive credit flows and widespread moral hazard for well over a decade. Uh, and the bubble has burst. Um, you know, as soon as the government made it clear that they were serious, about no longer underwriting rampant speculation in real estate. That speculation came to a halt. And now we're seeing the backside of what is probably the biggest asset bubble that we've seen in recorded economic history.
0: I see. Now, here in the U.S., we talk about the housing market recessions and, and the economy. What about China's housing market? What impacts does that have on China's economy?
5: Well, because of the command and control, um, system that they operate, they do seem to be immune from the kind of uh, self-reinforcing credit crisis that we saw in the West in 2008, whereby asset prices decline, people worry about the creditworthiness of anyone holding those assets, and then credit dries up to those entities holding the assets, they're forced to sell the assets, the prices fall. And it, and it spirals out of control, which is what we saw in 2002, 2008 in the West. In China, the assets, whether it's mortgages or securities related to mortgages or loans to developers, are largely, they're pretty much all held within the system. So some foreign bondholders, uh, some foreign creditors to Chinese property developers will get burned, but that's really small potatoes. The bulk of the assets are at, at state-owned uh, banks or insurance companies, or you know the asset management companies, uh, all of which are viewed as the state, and there's really no one to call their credit in because they finance either directly or indirectly through the PBOC. So the entire system is plugged into the central bank. So they can always print money to keep that system liquid, which means you will not have the kind of credit crisis you saw in 07. Now, ultimately, the printing of the money to keep that that, that financial system afloat will undercut the currency. The issue there is Chinese trade surpluses are at record high because their economy is being dented by the property bust and the zero COVID policy, while the rest of the world is reopening. The rest of the world has been buying goods rather than services because of the pandemic, which which has blown out China's trade surplus, which last month hit $100 billion, the biggest month ever. Um, And China has also shut down outbound tourism, which was a big source of leakage of funds. So there's like a lot of money uh, flowing into China from the trade surplus and not flowing out because they don't let their citizens go abroad. which, which gives them a really unique degree of control over the currency right now. So from the timing of blowing up the housing bubble, this external backdrop that's very unique and beneficial to China's trade surplus has really been a godsend for them. And it's allowing to keep all these balls in the air for now.
0: Brian McCarthy, chief strategist at MicroLens, thank you for coming on today. Thanks, Don. And stocks ended slightly higher today. The Dow added 19 points, or less than 1 tenths of a percent. The S&P gained 10 points, or 2 tenths of a percent. The Nasdaq rose 27 points, also 2 tenths of a percent. And in the U.S., home sales kept dropping in July. This marks the sixth time in as many months that they have fallen. Analysts say higher mortgage rates and overall costs are pushing potential buyers out of the market. But even so, home prices are still on the rise. The median home price was just under $404,000 last month, which is a 10.8% hike from the previous year. This is according to the National Association of Realtors. And mortgage rates, meanwhile, have fallen slightly. According to Freddie Mac, the 30-year fixed rate averaged 5.1% for the week that ended Thursday, compared to 5.2% the week before and with back to school right around the corner families are bracing for higher costs on school supplies due to inflation single parent families are especially feeling the brunt of it they may need to cut back here's the next story this
4: is 169 dollar store has
1: a 1 for julia Cisneros of Chicago buying supplies is the last resort As a single mom of four kids ranging from 8 to 17 years old, she first snatched up half-used supplies from school.
4: Whatever the teachers at the end of the school year, they say, who wants to take supplies? You got to line up and get as much as you can. They don't even use them the whole way. They use them like halfway, and they throw them out. And that's why we save and recycle.
1: School uniforms are big-ticket items. Last year, Cisneros spent $600 on two sets of school uniforms for each son. But this year, she has to cut back. Since I have two boys they are almost the same size, I buy one for each. So. According to a survey by the National Retail Federation, or NRF, back-to-school spending is expected to go up by a whopping 40.6% versus 2019, and back-to-college spending is expected to go up 35.5%. The survey also says that families with kids in elementary through high school plan to spend an average of $864 on school items. That's $15 more than last year and $168 more than 2019. 2022 total spending is expected to hit $36.9 billion, on par with 2021 spending, a record high. Margaret Mack from Connecticut is visiting her daughter, who is a single parent of three kids in Chicago. She shops at different stores to find the best deals for her two grandsons. Mack says inflation is especially hard on single parents.
6: It's a major impact because she now has two children that require additional supplies for school, and it cuts into the budget. I mean, there are things that she has to do, groceries, you try to do recreation for the kids, and that cuts into it, and not only that, gas. And she has an SUV, so her gas expenses probably double what a normal vehicle is.
1: The survey also shows more than one-third, or 38 percent, of shoppers would cut back on other areas to cover the cost of back-to-school and college. Reporting by Angela Moy, NTD News, Chicago.
0: And to learn more about shoppers' purchasing behavior in today's inflationary environment, I talked with Sharon Martis. She's the Director of Consumer Research at (laughs) Refinitiv. Sharon, great to have you with us today. A lot of retail earnings this week, right? Some companies meeting expectations, some well below expectations. What's your assessment so far for this week?
4: Well, Don, it's good to be here. And it's very evident that there's no stopping the consumer. The consumer is engaged, but there has been a shift in consumer spending. So what we're seeing in general is that the consumer is trading down. We're hearing that from all the retailers, even from Walmart, which is seeing more middle-class and higher-end consumers come to the store. And then when, they, when the consumer does go shopping for clothing at Kohl's or TJ Maxx, we're seeing that they're actually opening up their wallets for the items that are less expensive and they're going less to the store. So we're seeing that the consumer is definitely being affected by inflation, higher gasoline prices and therefore being more conscious about what they're spending. In general, when we look at the retail data from Refinitiv, the estimates suggest that consumers are more inclined to spend on hotels, lodging and traveling and eating out at restaurants as opposed to going to the mall and buying any more clothing or shoes.
0: Now, On that point of inflation, is that being reflected in the data that you're seeing?
4: Well, for one, we're seeing that when the consumers are going to actually purchase clothing, which they're not doing as much this in the second quarter they're spending they're going to the less expensive items and then what we're seeing too is that they're sticking to the basic necessities to discretionary items um, when they are spending their money so in general you can see that consumers have had a shift they're also cutting off their netflix subscriptions and instead they're opening up a membership at Sam's club at costco at bj wholesales those three discounters have smashed their seams through sales estimates and it's not just that the consumer wants to spend money at the gas pump, once they go there to fuel up their cars with gasoline, they're actually parking their cars and going into the stores. And that's actually translating into stronger same-store sales for the in-store experience as well. So that's key.
0: I'm curious, is there a difference uh, between lower and higher income shoppers when it comes to their uh, shopping patterns?
4: Absolutely. So what we're seeing is that the low-end consumer is no longer receiving those stimulus checks that they did a year ago. And on top of that, their purchasing power has come down because of inflation. Um, so as a result, they are shopping closer to their homes in order to travel less. And then when they are going to purchase items, they're purchasing more than usual. Meanwhile, the high-end consumer, they're firing at all cylinders. We're seeing the big names like Louis Vuitton, Burberry and Hermès. They are actually passing on those higher prices onto that high-end consumer. And they are willing and able to spend because those earnings and revenues are coming in even stronger than pre-pandemic levels.
0: I see. All right. Thanks for your insight today. Sharon Martis, Director of Consumer Research at Refinitiv, thank you for joining us today.
4: Thank you so much for having me.
0: And one of the biggest home improvement chains in the U.S. is giving away millions of dollars to its workers as an inflation bonus. NTD's Phil Zoe has the story.
6: Lowe's home improvement store is awarding 55 million dollars in bonuses to his hourly frontline workers. That's to help with high prices amid inflation levels not seen since the 80s. They're taking the pain now
2: for a larger payoff, a return on investment when the economy Uh, ultimately improves.
6: Mike Sorelli knows all about keeping top talent in companies. He's the CEO of the Talent War Group and the co-author of The Talent War. They've just
2: strengthened the company culture, the morale, and they've created more loyal team members within Lowe's. And those team members will not soon forget. And they've literally quite taken action, or as we say in the business world, they've put their money where their mouth is.
6: Lowe's has around 2,000 stores across the U.S. and Canada, employing a whopping 300,000 workers. It's the second largest home improvement chain in the U.S., behind only Home
2: Depot. This news is getting out. It's great press for Lowe's. And naturally, customers are going to see this and they're going to be more lo- loyal to Lowe's as
6: well. This is not the first time Lowe's has given out bonuses. In February of last year, the home improvement giant gave $80 million as pandemic bonuses. That came out to $300 for full-time workers and $150 for part-time and seasonal workers. Phil Zhou, NTD News.
0: And still to come after the break, a wine company holding a contest offering tens of thousands of dollars to help you pursue your side hustle or passion projects. And Gen Z has been helping the fashion industry come back from the pandemic losses. That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. The FDA has issued its first warning letter for the marketing of illegal flavored nicotine gummies. In a letter today to manufacturer VPR Brands, the agency said these types of gummies are concerning because they resemble kid-friendly food or candy products. And such products can cause severe nicotine toxicity or even death among children. VPR Brands is the name behind Crave Nick, which markets the gummies, Crave's packaging says it contains tobacco-free nicotine. But the FDA says the company is not authorized to make, sell, or distribute such products, and is calling on Crave to address the violations. The FDA says nicotine gummies are a public health crisis just waiting to happen among our nation's youth. Crave Nick's website says the product is discontinued, but it seems you can still buy it on Crave's other websites. Now let's talk about the sharing economy. It allows you to rent strangers' homes when you're on vacation, like Airbnb, and jump into other people's cars when you need a ride, like Uber. And now you can dive into a stranger's pool using an app called Swimply. It's like Airbnb, but for renting swimming pools. Simply has actually been around for a while now since 2018. It gained traction during the pandemic. Hosts are able to set their own rates but need to give Swimply a 15% cut. The company has listings in more than 125 markets in the U.S., Canada, and Australia. But amid success, Swimply is facing possible regulatory hurdles, as well as liability and safety concerns. Because in June, a child actually drowned in a Swimply reserved pool. Gen Z is becoming one of the leading spenders in the fashion industry as they try to dress themselves to stand out. NTD's Sean Marshall brings us the next
2: story. It seems Gen Z may be the future focus of luxury fashion with a growing trend of maximalism, as opposed to their millennial predecessors who often had a popular trend of relaxed minimalism. Many of Gen Z, the 10 to 24 age group, have been adopting a more is more mindset. They're set to surpass millennials by the end of the decade, perhaps reaching almost 30% of the global income. Equity strategist Simon Powell said in a note to CNBC, they're the first generation to have grown up with the internet, mobile phone devices, Google, and Wi-Fi. I Caught up with Raheem Mathurin at Sneakers and Stuff, he thinks a lot of Gen Z influence comes from social media.
3: Influencers are like very important to um, a brand success, any company's success actually. Um, so I think a lot of what you know, becomes like a hot item is based off of what people see other people wearing through the internet. Um, so for me personally, I look through like Instagram, TikTok helps a lot, um, sometimes Twitter.
2: Stiff branded content and woke advertising are not the way to go. But instead, UGC, or user-generated content, is the preferred method to reach Gen Z. They want brands to speak their language and will reject any performative action, according to research by advertising firm Wordstream.
3: I think in general, too, style has become a lot more important to people now. Um, so it's like more important for people to express themselves, so clothing and shoes and accessories become a lot more um, like prominent in people's like minds now of what they need and want.
2: I asked Mathern, what's popular among Gen Z right now? I'd say right now, one of the most popular
3: brands is Balenciaga, um, and that's probably because it's like heavily backed by like Kanye right now. Um, so they get a lot of like looks through um, his influence and also social media.
2: According to a report from Klarna, Gen Z and millennial shoppers scoop up premium goods faster than anyone else and bring preferences and priorities that are entirely different from older generations. Sean Marshall, NTD News.
0: And finally, a California wine company is giving one lucky person $75,000 to go after their dream job or side hustle. The company's unshackled brand is holding a contest called The Great Unshackling. Contestants are asked to post an original Instagram video about how they would use the money to pursue their passion by September 7th. The post must include the hashtags The Great Unshackling Contest and Hashtag 21. Contestants also need to tag and and follow Unshackled Wines. Entries will be judged on originality, creativity, feasibility, and sincerity. Eight semifinalists will then undergo a 20-minute interview. Then five finalists will be selected and the public will vote for a winner. Voting starts October 27th and ends on November 2nd. And that's all the stories we have today from the NTD business team and myself, Don Ma. You can follow me on Twitter too. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at NTD.com. We read every email. That's all for today. Thanks for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.